Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Dr. Karen and I'm super excited about our show today. Phil, why don't you kind of let us know what's going on? Yeah, today we have a great show. Uh, We got Peter Greer on the interview. We got a a recommendation or two at the end of the show. Uh, Right now, though, I am psyched because the Ask Dr. Karen segment is back. And um, today we're going to talk about something that will actually prepare us for this interview with Peter Greer. For those of you who remember, Peter talked with us on episode three about his organization and microfinance and um, a lot of what Hope International is doing around the world. But today he's going to talk to us really about self-care and how we can uh, completely uh, take care of ourselves as we're doing this work. And as really we're doing anything in life, whether it's parenting um, biological children, adopted children, foster kids, or working uh, somewhere around the world doing stuff with uh, at-risk children or orphan children. But uh, today on Ask Dr. Karen, we have her sharing with us about the term member care. And so Karen, why why don't you tell us what that's all about? All right, let's do it. Member care is near and dear to my heart. It is one of my favorite topics to talk about. Member care is a term that is often used in association with missionaries. It was birthed from the term missionary care, which is exactly what it sounds like, (laughs) providing care for missionaries. But member care is a specific concept, actually, and it's actually a network as well of um, organizations and ministries and a way of of thinking. It's a culture. Member care is specific and intentional ongoing care that is provided for individuals, or organizations, agencies, ministries, churches. It's ongoing, it's intentional, and it focuses on preparing individuals, equipping individuals, and empowering individuals before, during, and after a ministry setting, um, a placement overseas in the field. In my work, um, when I do clinical work with patients and I work with patients Uh, children and teenagers and parents that may look like different seasons of parenting where as parents we have to take care of ourselves in different ways if we're um, bringing a a child into our home through foster care or adoption or if we're parenting children by birth we go through different seasons where this care of ourselves is incredibly important Mm -hmm. and so when you hear the word member care I I really just want you guys to think intentionality and I want you to think self-care but it's not as simple as that sounds member care when we think think about it from like a theoretical component. It's essentially looking at different spheres. And my favorite model of the member care is from Dr. Kelly O'Donnell. And so you guys can earmark that name, write it down, look it up, Google it, read his books. They're excellent. They're phenomenal. And his theory is looking at self-care from a model that our first and most important relationship that we are intentional with should be our walk with Christ. It's called master care. What is my relationship with Christ looking like? How is my faith journey? What steps am I taking to actively pursue sanctification? And then it stems out from there and it looks at um, self-care and it looks at mutual care, thinking through what are my immediate relationships looking like? If I'm married, that looks like my husband, that looks like um, my friends, that looks like 
uh, my children. That looks like maybe my colleagues that are on staff with me at private practice and some of the other ministries that I get to consult with. And then we're looking at sender care. It's looking at what's the organization like with that you're working with. That's specific to missions and it's specific to churches that are sending missionaries or um, global sending agencies. Member care is multifaceted. And if I had an hour, I would tease out all of the facets of it. But when I, when you hear member care, I want you to intentionally think about caring for yourself. If you're a parent or a caregiver, if you're working in a ministry setting, whether that's a church or a domestic setting or an international setting, that would be the intentionality with which you take care of yourself so that you can do your job well, so that you can take care of others well. And so member care, again, one more time, it's taking care of yourself and it's intentional. And the reason that we do that is because we want our care whether it's parenting and raising children or helping children who've come from hard places or providing clinical services or running an NGO or a ministry. We want all of those things to be effective and we want them to be sustainable. Yeah, and I don't know about all you out there listening in, but uh, I'm learning so much from this segment and I'm so excited we were able to do it and that we thought about doing this earlier earlier this season. And so uh, thanks, Karen, for that. And, uh, you know, we're just going to get into this interview with Peter. I said this during uh, the intro to the, the first time uh, we had Peter on the show. And I'll say it again. This man is about uh, the kindest man I've ever met in the world. He's an encourager. He's a team player. He's a great brother to me. Um, he's a man that, you know, if, if you are looking for someone to for your kids to look up to, this is your guy. And so he's the real deal. And he's going to share with us some stuff today that he's been learning over the years. He's written some books on it. And, uh, you know, I hope that you learn as much as I do from this man and that you go out and grab his books after you get this, because I have, I have a feeling you'll want to do that because you'll learn a ton from them as well. And as we always tell you, you know, please engage with us online, engage with us with, you know, through email, through Facebook comments, um, post there, and, and please share this podcast with people. If it's helping you, I know it can help others as well. So get it out there, share it, rate and review it on iTunes and, uh, help us get this to as many people around the world as we possibly can. So without any more, here's Peter. Well, welcome to part two of my uh, interview with Peter Greer. I'm, I'm just so excited to be back with you, Peter. Thanks so much for having me, Phil. Yeah, and if you haven't listened to part one of this interview, I, I strongly encourage you to go back um, and, and do that. Uh, it's episode three of, of the Think Orphan podcast, and it's, you know, it's, it definitely sets up this interview with Peter. That one really goes on to what Hope International is doing around the world, who Peter is, and uh, just goes into um, some of the issues that um, Peter has been thinking about and how they, what they've been working through with, uh, with Hope International around the world. Today, we're going to get into uh, Peter's books. And he's, he's written so many of them. I just don't have time. It would take the entire show to say all of the books that Peter has written, but a few of them that I can actually say with, uh, actual credibility that they are phenomenal books are the ones that I've read, which are, uh, the spiritual danger of doing good. The poor will be glad mommy's heart went pop and, and, uh, which, which actually is a children's book about international adoption and just fantastic book. And his most recent book, 4040 vision. Um, we'll have links to all of Peter's books, not just those ones. We'll have links to all of them on uh, thinkorphan.com. But the first question I want to talk to you about, Peter, is, is something that I believe you wrote in a, in a blog post. You, you talked about how you don't ever want to write a book alone. And why, why is that? You know, I, 
I think this is probably part of a bigger conversation, but but I think one of the greatest gifts that we are given is the gift of friendship. Mm. I really do. And and perhaps there are some people that are single-handedly brilliant that can go into a cave and come out with a manuscript. That is not who I am and not how I work. And and part of it has been the incredible fun of deepening relationships by working on a project together with people. And um, so every single project uh, I've, I've done. So if someone were to say, how many books have you written, Peter? The truthful answer is zero. <laughs> I have co-authored uh, several, but I have not written any of them alone. And, and I think that has not only deepened friendships, I think the end result is a stronger end result when you really can bounce ideas off of another friend and uh, and, and strengthen and sharpen the ideas. So yeah, I've, I've, uh, I'm a co-author. I'm not an author. Nice, nice. I, I am with you on that one. I think that goes to the importance of collaboration, right? I mean, just the, it goes to the ministry. It goes to the, the organizational work, the nonprofit work around the world too, right? That's exactly right, yeah. And I think, you know, there are some people that have, have said, uh, you know, kind of encouraged, well, that kind of makes it difficult uh, to get your brand out there. That to me is not big picture thinking. I think individual kind of brands are subordinate to bigger picture ideas and initiatives. And there, as has been famously said, you know, there's no there, there's no solo operators in any kind of significant movement. And and so just even in the way that we kind of write, the way that we talk, I hope I always have a posture that defaults to collaboration as opposed to somehow kind of defaulting to kind of tight-fisted or control. Um, yeah, I, I just think you, you get further, you get there faster, and you have a whole lot more fun when you involve other friends in the process. Hmm. And I can tell you from personal experience, those aren't just words coming out of your mouth, but those are true actions that you live out. Um, being able to work with you on on a project and, and knowing um, that's real to you. Um, because you are uh, just an encourager. You are one that's a great friend as well. So thank you for that, Peter. Oh, I appreciate that. Oh, thanks, Phil. Another thing um, that uh, stuck out to me in, in 40, reading 4040 Vision, um, you talked a lot about, um, or not talked about, there's a chapter on uh, being the hurriedness and the busyness that we have in our culture, particularly here in the U.S. And do you think that our seeming need to fill our schedules, like to, to always be busy, actually hinders our ability to get things done in other cultures? It really is interesting. I, I, I've uh, you kind of your ears perk up when you're thinking about a subject. It's almost like when you're going car shopping. Suddenly, you notice cars that you never noticed before. And and I have definitely noticed that today in our culture, when you ask someone how they're doing, the default position, the default response is no longer "I'm fine." Mm-hmm. Uh, the default answer is "I'm busy." And it's almost like we kind of keep track of our busyness as some form of self-validation to make ourselves feel important, like we're always needed. And yet I think that hurriedness and rushing uh, robs us of joy, robs us of of impact. and so, you know, I, I, I think there is, uh, I think it's time to give ourselves the gift of having time and space without anything on the calendar. Or if you have to put it on the calendar, uh, on my calendar, I put proactive time. That sounds mm-hmm. like I'm still busy. 
but it's time to stop. It's time to pause. It's time to think. It's time to pray. It's time to connect. Uh, and uh, it, it is needed. It is absolutely needed. So I think that's true on an individual level. And I would agree that our our hurriedness does sabotage relationships, certainly in a cross-cultural setting, perhaps even more so in a relationship-based uh, culture where uh, it takes time to have the three cups of tea. It, it takes right. time to establish relationships before you, quote-unquote, are ready to get down to business. It's that idea of making room, right? Just making room in your schedule. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what your habits are, Phil, but one of the days that I look forward to is once a month I have a Friday that uh, is, uh, as much as possible, no meetings and it's a time to get caught up, and it's uh, it's it takes a lot of work to protect that time, uh, but it is uh, it's it's a significant gift when you're able to have those moments um, that I think actually lead to greater effectiveness over the long term. Anyway, yeah, and the more productivity experts you uh, you read, you talk with, you see, you know, you, you, you're hearing, um, they talk about that. the The most productive time you can probably have in your schedule when you plan nothing and you have nothing on your schedule. Yes. Um, the, uh, over the past few years, um, talking about self-care, I mean, that, that's another, uh, topic that you, you, that effectively what you just talked about is that self-care, how can we take a step back from all the hustle and bustle of our lives? Um, you actually wrote spiritual danger of doing good. And that talked a lot about self-care in that book. Um, can you share why self-care is so important? And some tangible ways like that day on a Friday. Are there some other examples of that that you do or you've heard being done and how um, the leaders out there, how people doing this work? Um, and as I say, the leader, I don't mean just the people leading organizations, but, you know, everyone doing this work is leading someone. And how can we practice self-care in the midst of the seemingly, seemingly endless demands on our time and our energy? Yeah, I feel like... Like you, I've I've uh, really benefited from uh, from the friendship and uh, and and advice from Brian Fickert, uh, Steve Corbett. Uh, they wrote uh, when helping hurts, mm-hmm. and um, one of the things that they've done such an incredible job uh, in promoting is this idea that not all good intentions have good results on the uh, beneficiaries of our services, mm-hmm. and that it's possible to have a good heart and to actually do harm to others. The piece of that that I, that I uh, wanted to go deeper is is I started realizing that it wasn't just harm that was happening at the end uh, user level, the beneficiary or the client or the person receiving the services, but in the midst of doing good, it was actually causing a lot of harm in the hearts of the individuals that were going and serving. And so you kind of look around and you realize a lot of people that were leading or serving with large organizations or, or starting up this innovative new organization, it doesn't take too long for them to seemingly have some significant uh, crashes. And, and it's, that's not just kind of the maybe more public uh, issues of some kind of a significant moral failure. Uh, oftentimes it's, it's less, uh, it's, it's perhaps less seen, but just as devastating of a growing sense of cynicism or a growing sense of fear or growing sense of feeling overwhelmed or, or some other way uh, that I believe is the inevitable response 
when we're doing all this good work, but we're not caring for us. So it, it certainly has become a passion to say, how in the midst of doing good do we make sure that we are healthy individuals? And in some ways, the outcomes that we want to see in the lives of the families that we're serving, how do we make sure that we also are working to see those same outcomes in our lives and in our families? And uh, and, and so some of the practical ways, Phil, that that, that kind of plays out, um, I, I think there is something, just as we were talking about, about the habit and discipline of rest. One out of every seven days uh, are we taking time to rest and remember that this world is not ours to save. Uh, another habit is to say, you know, we spend all this time thinking about programs and systems. Um, have we ever stopped and asked the people that are closest to us, hey, how well are, are, are we doing on the ministry of loving uh, right around us, loving the people that uh, are closest to us, our family and friends? Um, I, I think part of it uh, deals with this, uh, this, this, this whole idea about friendship. I see a lot of leaders that are doing great work and uh, slowly over time have no significant friendships mm. to be there in the moment when they need them. Um, uh, so, yeah, the, the list goes on. Right. But, uh, it was fun to, um, to, to, to think about those issues. And, and uh, I know personally I have changed some of my habits because I don't want to be someone that, uh, again, is doing work to try and help communities around the world flourish and to help uh, families and individuals flourish and and yet to look around in 20 years at my own family, at my own life, and see that I've been withering for a long time. So I think it's just consistency, then that same focus on the outcomes that we want to see around the world. How do we make sure that we're consistently working and living and diligently uh, seeing that same level of flourishing in our own lives and in our families? Yeah, I want to unpack that a little bit. Um... And one of the things, and to combine it with something that you talked about in part one of the interview, you talked about the importance of mentors, right? And the importance of surrounding yourself with these people who, who can help you and who can encourage you and who can uh, make you a better person, but also make you a better leader, make you better in these different areas, whatever you were weak in. Um, and the things you were strong in, you brought people that were better than you in those areas, right? And, and, and in, I can't remember if it was in the book or in uh, a blog post that you wrote, but you talked about two by two by two mentoring. And what is that? Because it was something that really struck me and I think it can help a lot of other people too. Yeah, well, I, I, I think I, um, it was early on with, with Hope uh, that, that I <laughs> had this realization that I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and, and uh, you know, maybe that's a, that's a significant moment, right? Uh, when we kind of feel like we have everything figured out, that's probably a pretty dangerous place to lead. Um, and so early on, I was not given that, uh, that luxury of, of even the pretense of thinking that I had it all figured out. And so uh, I stumbled upon this idea of constellation mentoring, where instead of looking for one individual that has all of the different areas where I want to learn and grow, uh, instead you kind of break that up into a constellation of people where each one of the individuals has something specific that uh, you want to intentionally learn and grow. And so there's a number of uh, people in my life that I've been so privileged to walk with and um, kind of identify. And so when I would ask someone, hey, would you be willing to mentor me in 
and just great management. Uh, go to people, the very best manager that I could find. Um, would you help coach me? And, and it's kind of good to time bound the request. And mm-hmm. so I said, would you be willing to meet with me for two, two times a year for two years uh, for two hours a time and I will come in prepared I will read whatever books you recommend I will come with real life questions that I'm dealing with and I will use your our time effectively and so that two by two by two system um, in almost all of the cases turned into not just a two-year relationship but uh, a long-term long-standing friendships that I think are gonna last uh, for the rest of my life um, so yeah, that, that's kind of the two by two by two. It gives kind of a specific way of going and asking uh, very specifically for a limited amount of time, but for a very specific mentoring purpose. And I can speak personally that I uh, implemented that in some of my mentoring relationships and, and I agree it's been, it was phenomenal and they have been longer term than that. But if, if you get to the end of it and you realize that it's, you know, it, it served its purpose and both sides are okay with that as well, it, it really is a defined period to say, this is what I'm asking you, right? It gives them on their side as well because chances are these people are pretty busy. Exactly. So another thing that I've been extremely impressed with you, um, and not just in your writings, but just in our friendship is, is you've been very vulnerable about your shortcomings and mistakes in relation to your role as a husband and a father. Um, many of which have resulted from your commitment to your leadership position and your ministry. So, you know, at the expense of the thing that, you know, you, you really, you know, love the most, you're you know, you're giving it up for something else. Right. And we do that in our relationship with God a lot. We do that in our families a lot. And you've been very vulnerable with that. Um, how have you protected yourself against committing those things again to doing those things again? Oh, I, I, I don't know that I have. Uh, <laughs> and if my wife was here, she would tell you I haven't, but I definitely am committed to that. And most of the time, though, it seems like it's, it's not the bad things in life. Uh, it's actually, good things uh, that end up becoming the biggest obstacles when we kind of have that misordered or misaligned, uh, misaligned loves. Um, And, and uh, for me, the moment that uh, I will hopefully never go back to though is when after the kids were in bed, Laurel sat me down and uh, again, we, we had this great marriage. We started it living in, in Rwanda and she said, Peter, I feel nothing for you. She made sure that I knew she's committed to me, but but our marriage was just dying. Um, and it was because I had a mistress and not a person, uh, but, a, but a job. And I was confused that my ministry of uh, leading an organization somehow uh, was elevated to a place that it shouldn't have been, which was a higher place of priority and love than my love for my family and I was missing out. It was a good thing, right? Working and serving with Hope International is a very good thing, Mm -hmm. but it was uh, not supposed to be in a position where Laurel was just consistently getting leftovers. And um, so I I never want to go back there. And so it was kind of changing some of the habits, the routines, the practices, setting up guardrails to make sure that I don't go back to that stage again. You also drafted a letter at that point, didn't you? Yeah, that was one of the significant moments. So I, I drafted my resignation letter. Well, more than drafted it, I wrote it. Right. And I put it in a sealed envelope and I gave it to Laurel. And I said, if you ever feel this way again, that I am prioritizing my work over my relationship with you, 
then uh, I would like you to mail this resignation letter and I will walk away from the job that I love to make sure that I am uh, loving, uh, loving you. Um, and uh, so that resignation letter has not been sent yet. <laughs> and, and, and it's been a great kind of reminder. Because uh, right. again, I really do. I find terrific fulfillment in the work that I do. I want to keep doing this job. Right. Uh, but I don't want to do it at the expense of, uh, of loving Laurel and loving my three precious kids. That's so powerful. I, I got the chills again. Um, I think every time I hear you tell the story, um, it, it gives me that feeling. Uh, just, yeah, it's great stuff. Another thing that if, if you know, you out there follow Peter on uh, Facebook or you at all have seen him out and about in his travels, you'll notice that he does something kind of special uh, with his kids on these trips. You know, a lot of people send stuff home to their kids, but w- what have you been able to do that's a little different than that? Yeah, this was actually uh, not not uh, my idea. It was a pastor, Chrissy, uh, who uh, mentioned we were together, um, uh, and uh, and he said, "Peter, have you ever thought about bringing your kids?" And his family's a little bit uh, further along in the adventure, and he said, "The best thing that I did was starting to say, are there experiences, are there events that I could bring a family member along with me?'" And so that's been kind of my default uh, to say, is there an event? Uh, is there something that I could do not just solo, but turn it into a great adventure? And so, you know, I, one time I was invited to go give a talk at Washington, D.C. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe six years ago, I would have just gone and I would have done it. And then I would have uh, come home late at night, but uh, changed and said, you know what, this is a great opportunity. Um, and so on that one in particular, I got to bring two of my kids and they sat in the back, listened to me talk. And then we went and explored the Smithsonian's together Mm -hmm. and made it this great adventure. And as much as that was, uh, you know, we were staying in a hotel that had a pool. How Mm -hmm. awesome is that? Uh, Uh, And so it just turned what normally would have been a little, you know, experience. I would have done that. And then I would have come home to be a default of saying, is it possible for me to involve families, uh, members? And so I've had incredible adventures, um, yeah, whether it's a speaking event or whether it's uh, going and seeing the work uh, around the world um, or whether it's a, a major donor event, um, going and bringing Laurel, um, going as a couple to some of those things. It has been so much fun and has totally changed the travel experience that always is a challenge mm-hmm. to manage and just brought incredible adventure while still doing my job. Right. Um, yeah, so just uh, that, that was Chris C., but I think it's great advice for people to just consider, are there times, are there occasions, are there events that you might consider going with a family member? Mm-hmm. And you've also been able to do something else pretty cool with your son. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, by far, uh, Phil, my favorite writing project is uh, a, a little book uh, called Watching Seeds Grow. And it was really, it was a summer project, school's out, uh, and uh, wanted to do something to continue to learn. And uh, so my son and I, uh, he, he kind of naturally has this interest in entrepreneurship. And so we had the great fun of creating a book together to teach about some of the principles of entre- entrepreneurship for parents and children to go through together. And so it's just been so fun. Uh, and we've got to speak on that at a couple uh, youth conferences uh, to hear him go. And uh, he has done, you know, 
speeches, uh, which has just been so much fun to not just write the book, but then do a little right. bit of the promoting of the message. So it's kind of a guide for parents and children to think about entrepreneurship in a way that goes beyond just the lemonade stand. So yeah, yeah by far my favorite uh, writing project. That's so cool. That's just, I mean, it takes that, hey, what can I do with my son this summer to the next level? You know, that's that's the Peter Greer version of, hey, let's go to the park and play some soccer. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I just thought that was so fantastic when I saw that coming out. Um, shift gears a, a little bit. In, in 4040 Vision, um, you, you talk in there, there's a chapter, I think it's called Immortal. And when you read the book, uh, it's it, it, it just tackles some really tough issues in some great ways. But And it goes through Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes to do so. Um, but you talked in one of the chapters about considering immortality caused you to live and love just a little bit differently. Well, how, how has it changed you specifically in your approach to your work with Hope International? Yeah. So part of that whole conversation uh, is really um, – it is really flowing from from a recognition. Uh, so when we, we worked on Mission Drift, we found that organizations tend to drift from their founding purpose and identity, and they do it consistently, and it happens quickly, and it happens more than any of us ever, uh, I believe, realize that we slowly move away from our core commitments and convictions. But as we did the research thinking about how drift happens, we saw something really interesting is that even if you pay attention to all of these organizational issues of funding, of governance, of strategy, of, of, uh, of metrics, all of these pieces which are important, drift is still going to happen unless you pay attention to what happens at a very personal and individual level. And uh, reading in uh, both The Economist, uh, The Atlantic, uh, there's been a lot that's actually come out recently about this about how statistically there's this period in life, uh, broadly defined, age 35 to 55, that tends to be a danger zone where people tend to drift in a pretty significant way. And so we started looking at this question about how does drift happen, not at an organizational level, but at a personal level. And uh, we found that drift is nothing new. Perhaps the greatest example of drift is this example that we find in the Bible, the example of King Solomon that had such a beautiful start asking for wisdom and mm -hmm. such a, he was given so much in terms of keys to the kingdom, literally. And yet you look at the end of his life and you look at his memoir and you realize he drifted in a way that had a horrible impact on himself, on his family, on his nation. And so it was trying to diagnose, hey, how does that happen? And so part of it is this idea about actually being okay to look at our mortality in the eyes and say, you know what, our days are finite. And it's an unpleasant thing. It's something that no one really wants to think about unless we're forced to. We're forced to put on the suit and go to the funeral. But what if we could actually be given the gift of on our own considering to count our days, know that they're limited, and I am sure, I am sure that I live differently when I remember that, uh, that, that this, this, my days here are limited. And how do I want to spend today? And it will become less about building, uh, about projects, and it'll be more about building and investing in people. And uh, it'll be less about me, and it'll be a whole lot more about you. Um, and, and, and this is where faith, again, just such a critical part. I think that when you look at your mortality, 
you are far more open to ask the big questions of meaning and significance. And for me, that made me even more grateful for the scandalous message of grace uh, that is found in my relationship with Jesus Christ. So when you when you learn to count and number your days, I think you live and you love and you serve differently. Hmm. And as part of that, you you talk about how in your 40th birthday party, I believe it was your 40th, uh, you shared your epitaph with, with the people that were at the party with you. Is that right? Yeah. Kind of, kind of a little sick, right? And, and my wife's comment was, uh, "How much longer are you going to be working on this uh, this book?" <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I do this. Yeah, no, it was kind of fun, and we did have carrot cake because I thought that would be healthier too. Time to kind of live uh, li- live a healthy because I want to be around for a little while as uh, as much as it depends on some of the lifestyle uh, choices. So, um, but yeah, I, I read through my um, what I hope would be read at my funeral, um, and uh, it had less. It had nothing to do with accolades. Uh-huh. Uh, it had nothing to do with credentials, uh, the things that we spend so much time thinking about. And uh, it was different. And, you know, David Brooks has this great TED Talk about the difference between our resume virtues and our eulogy virtues. And uh, that exercise for me was very helpful in clarifying what are the eulogy virtues uh, that I want to spend my life thinking about and and uh, and and, uh, and cultivating. And. You know, I was wondering when I was reading the book, and I'm sure a lot of the audience is wondering too, what was the reaction of your friends at the party? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, Philip, you were there, right? I mean, you know me well enough. I, I, I think it's a bit of shock. Uh, and then it's, uh, you know what, Peter, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's blow out the cake. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I do think that there was... Uh, it was funny. Even my colleagues at Hope, um, you know, I'd been thinking about these issues right. and uh, all of that. Uh, I've got a great, uh, good humored group of colleagues. And, you know, the, the cake that we had uh, here at the office was a was was a uh, a, a gravestone uh, in the shape of a gravestone uh, of me as well. So, so they just <laughs> nice. kind of joined into the fun of kind of good natured kind of uh, yeah, but I, but I think the principle uh, really is a significant one. I, I want to live life differently because I know uh, that this life is not all there is. We have limited days. What are we going to do today? How do we live today as if it's a gift? Uh, and uh, again, that's where I uh, I end up closing down the computer perhaps earlier than I would otherwise so that I am home to have dinner with my family. Um, it, yep. it means that I am saying no to good opportunities so that I can say yes to the very best opportunities. Um, so yeah, that, that's, uh, that was my, uh, my 40th year. It was a lot about thinking about some of the big questions Yeah, and, uh, I hope it is helpful to some other people that are asking the questions about how do I make sure that I don't drift in my purpose uh, and that I live, uh, live with clarity about the things that matter most. Yeah. Well, I, I wrote it on Facebook the other day and I will say it again here. Uh, I encourage everyone breathing to read 4040 Vision. And I, it's not just if you're entering into this 40-year-old phase or you're beyond it. Um, uh, it's something that has some so, so much good stuff. And so we'll have the link to it on the show notes. Um, you can find it pretty much wherever books are sold, I imagine. Right, Peter? Oh, that's correct. All right. Uh, speaking of books, uh, what have you 
read or listened to in the past few months that has most impacted your thinking in the issues surrounding orphan care, poverty alleviation, and the work that you're doing? I mean, there's no question. In pursuit of orphan excellence. <laughs> Other than so, that, of course. <laughs> I mean, that is the book to read. It's a great read. Um, and uh, in addition to that, you know, I've been I've been on a uh, a bit of a uh, of of a kick uh, right now on. Uh, um, well, uh, most recently, uh, Gabe Lyons and Dave Kinnaman, their book mm-hmm. Good Faith. And uh, I've, I've really appreciated the two of them and some of the work that they've done to, uh, with UnChristian and, and thinking about that. But, but I, uh, reading through that again, it was a, a reminder. Our actions are so important. And uh, the world is watching to see if there's any difference in, in how we live. And, and there's so much credibility that I believe we have when we do things that don't make sense from a personal – there's nothing in it for us, you know, but we are caring – for people that too often uh, don't seem to have a voice, uh, the vulnerable, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan. And, um, and so, yeah, I think it doesn't perhaps identify that specifically, but the theme right. uh, about the world wants to see an authentic expression of faith, um, that, that's really significant. Yeah, and that's just that, real, that realness, that authenticity that we so need in all the work that we do, right? That's right. And the last question, um, can't believe it's already coming to a close again, but uh, what one person, what one living person, I'm going to clarify because we, I think we all have been impacted by Jesus Christ, but what one living person has uh, most impacted your thinking on how to best love and care for orphaned and vulnerable children around the world? Yeah, you know, it's someone that uh, has never written a book. Uh, but it's my grandfather. Hmm. And when I think about him, I think about how he was always present. Uh, he, he had these uh, eyes that, uh, that, that truly sparkled until the day that he, he, uh, he left this world. And he just, he just loved the contagious enthusiasm and a childlike joy. And, and I think that's what it comes down to. Sometimes I tend to think about systems and organizations and policies and procedures. All those things are important. But at the end of the day, am I getting down on uh, my hands and knees and am I playing and delighting uh, in, 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 in all people? Hmm. Um, and that's what I want to do um, in that. So, yeah, he had a profound impact in the way that he loved and served everyone. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Peter, this has been so much fun, and uh, I just can't wait uh, for all the listeners to be able to not only hear this, but uh, read your books. So thanks again, Peter. It was fantastic to have time. Thanks, Phil. Well, I don't know if you could tell during that interview, but, uh, you know, Peter is a guy that really cares about this stuff, (laughs) and he really cares about people. And I, I know that's why he is writing this stuff, but... I think he cares enough about people to know too that everything is better when you do it in a team. When you do things together with others and share it with others and even writing things and collaborating with others in this work. And that's what we're hoping to do through this podcast. That's what I know Peter's hoping to do with all the work that he does with Hope International around the world. So if you're looking to do any of that type of work anywhere, reach out to Hope and and really use the resources they have and figure out how you can partner together with those guys because they're phenomenal. So, uh, Karen, what do you take away from that uh, with Peter? I feel like I say this every week, Phil, but this was 
really one of my favorite recordings that we've done so far. Um, I have not had the privilege of meeting Peter, but he seems just like such a genuinely kind and authentic person. I was able to pick that up by listening to the words of wisdom that he's sharing with us and really resonates with me. If you guys listen to the podcast at all in the past couple of weeks, you know that I am a a strong advocate and proponent of healthy relationships and just hearing him emphasize that the gift of friendship and um, being intentional with fostering relationships and um, being intentional to know like where you are in your story and your life so that the things that we all encounter in our lives, whether it's here in America or overseas um, or as students, that everyone's busy. Everyone is hurried. And I love that he emphasized, um, and one of the the things that he said was hurriedness sabotages relationships. And that was uh, encouraging for me to hear and and convicting for me to hear in a good way of just a a constant reminder of intentionality. And I think that speaks into one of his books that you talked about, Phil, with the, um, the 4040 and how he talks about the drift and, um, he, he referenced the age range of 35 to 55, and I, I just got into that category. <laughs> and so it's very um, uh, appropriate for me to, to start thinking through some of these things, too. And it definitely coincides with the concepts of member care and intentionality with figuring out how am I doing in all factors of my story and in each relationship, most importantly, my relationship with Christ and then my relationship with my family and, and the ministries and the works that I'm doing. Um, but I really liked that. I liked that his emphasis is on how do I make sure that I'm not drifting? And I think that's just a really good, um, lots of great wisdom from him. Yeah, definitely. And I, I know one way Peter does that just because I've talked with him about it and, you know, I talked about it in the interview, but I, I also have done it myself. I know one way to keep from drifting really personally is what he did. You write the eulogy. And I've done that recently too. For those of you who listen to the podcast, you know, regularly, you know that I, you know, read a book called Living Forward and worked on my life plan, which part of that is starting at the end. Like, how do you want to be remembered? And really when you start with that and you start thinking through that, it, it's so powerful. It is so powerful because, because everything you do can go through that filter. Like, is this really, does this really matter? Is this something that will have eternal impact and eternal consequences? Will this really, will this relationship, will this work, will this, whatever it is, is this something that will really be the most effective to help me and others around me to flourish? And I know that that's something that I'm thinking about all the time. That's what something that Peter is thinking about all the time. And, you know, and that's, that's something that we all should be thinking through is because we're put on this earth to do, you know, good works that God created for us beforehand. When we remember that, it, it changes everything. It changes everything that we're doing. It should change every relationship we have. And so that's something that I just really loved. And, and I, I know his books are, are fantastic. We will have them on the, on the show notes so you can grab them um, and devour them. As I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you are, you're someone who, who really thinks through these issues and really wants to be better and wants to continue to um, know how to engage others, but also know how to help yourself to be um, the best it can be for the kingdom. So... So yeah, you know, uh, that's, that's really what I, I'm, I'm excited about getting this out there to you guys. I love that you brought up the, the piece about the eulogy, Phil, that's incredibly important. And that stood out for me as well, even though I didn't mention it earlier, but it definitely stood out for me. And, um, you know, it, it, 
it resembles um, like an action plan that, that we have in, in the business world. It resembles a, a, a structural plan that we create, a treatment plan uh, as a clinician. And there's intentionality with that. I have found in, in my personal life and in my clinical work that when we incorporate intentionality with relationships, it can be so beneficial. And I, I love the, the emphasis that, that he placed on that. I hope you guys enjoyed the show as much as we did. Uh, we do have our last segment, which is the Phil and Dr. Karen recommendation. So Phil, what do you have for us today? Yeah, I have a couple books that, uh, you know, for the women listening to the podcast, I imagine you at least heard of it. Um, you've probably read at least one of them. Um, or if you haven't read the books, I'm sure you've read the blog that this uh, amazing woman writes regularly on. And it's uh, Ann Voskamp. Um, has written a couple books. One is called 1000 Gifts and one is called The Broken Way. I just recently read these books. We're, we're uh, looking forward. We're hoping to get uh, Anne on the show um, to talk about the refugee crisis on a, on a series that we're going to be doing in a few weeks on the refugee crisis and how we can get involved. But these books are not about that in, in you know per se. These books, they, they relate to that when you, when you really look at it. But just about gratitude and it's about, you know, how we can, how we can live flourishing lives, how, you know, how we can live, but in order to live that life, we really need to live in the brokenness and you need to enter into the brokenness, but you also need to be great, gracious. And, um, Eucharisteo precedes the miracle is something she says all the time. Giving thanks precedes that miracle. Something we need to do is to give thanks and be, you know, just show gratitude towards things before we're really going to see a lot of the things that God's doing in our lives. Such an amazing reminder. And I, I just, I say that, uh, these are my recommendations today because for the men out there, read these books, read these books because it's not just for women. It's not just for women. It's something that we need to understand this and really apply it to our families, apply it, apply it to our fatherhood, apply it to our marriages and just how we can love our friends. It's something that, you know, I think that we really need to engage that and come into that brokenness to accept the fact, not just accept it, but really be raw with people and be vulnerable with people that we are messed up. We don't have it all together. And we need each other. When we do that, it's so much powerful. It's so much better in so many different ways. So with that, I, I just uh, will close up this show. And I am so encouraged by what I heard today. Um, I'm so encouraged by my, my brother, Peter Greer. And I hope you are too. And I hope you take everything you learned today um, and apply it to your lives. Apply it to those around you uh, so you can help um, to love orphan and at-risk children more and more every single day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. And for all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening. And we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.